It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Well, good morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4. Again, we're walking through Philippians chapter 4. We're in verse 8. And uh, this morning, we're looking at the very beginning of these whatever statements. And so again, Paul says that you are to think on whatever, which again is not a limitation. This is actually an expansion. This is a, this is a freedom thing, uh, that he has given you full permission to just go bonkers with your thoughts when it comes to this reality uh, or this, this kind of list or the boundaries that this list provides. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4, I just want to look at verse 8 with you. This is what Paul says, Philippians 4, 8. He says, finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent and if there is anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Again, your mind is supposed to reckon. Your mind is supposed to grab a hold of. Your mind is supposed to be filled up with these things. And he begins this list by saying that which is true. You realize we live in a uh, day and age where we have a serious problem. And it's the fact that truth is garbly. Uh, Truth is cloaked. Uh, truth is <clears throat> getting harder and harder to grasp. Uh, it's interesting you go back to Isaiah. <clears throat> Let me just read this. This is Isaiah's writing this. Ponder this. He's writing this about his day. But ponder how amazing or how accurate it is for our day. This is what Isaiah says in Isaiah 59, 14. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away. For truth has fallen in the street and uprightness cannot enter. Boy, that sounds like 2021, doesn't it? It just sounds like our culture today, that, hey, justice is turned back, hey, righteousness is gone, truth has just been trampled and stomped in the streets, and no one values truth anymore. In fact, what is truth? As Pilate's great question was to Jesus, seems to be the question of the day. Uh, Paul warned Timothy that in the last days, listen to this, 2 Timothy 3, uh, Paul, Paul speaking to Timothy says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For people will be lovers of self. Just, doesn't this sound so like today? People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, slanderers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, uh, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And Paul says, avoid such people as these. And then he says, as, as he continues down through this list, he says, they're always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Isn't that interesting? That in these last days, everyone's going to become so self-centered and self-focused, and they're not actually able to understand, recognize, or grab a hold of truth. And do you know why that is? Because the moment you become self-centered and turn within, where is truth residing? Or where is truth coming from for you? Within. And that is not a good place for truth. <laughs> I don't know if you've recognized that. But when you are the source of your own truth, we get our modern-day culture. 
Which is why we have these groups that are saying, well, my truth can be different than your truth. Uh, if it's truth, you would think it's truth. So how can one person's truth be different from another person's truth and everything be okay? Well, when it comes from within, and it's, and it's all based on how I feel, and it's all based on my comfort, and it's all based on my preferences and my lifestyle, that I am literally twisting truth to make it fit my life. Which, by the way, is not truth. Uh, later in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says this to Timothy. Uh, this is uh, 2 Timothy 3, sorry, 2 Timothy verse 4, verse 3 and 4. He says, For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside to miss. I think we're living in those days where if someone speaks a bold message, we're actually like, you know what? I don't actually want to listen to that. I'll turn on this person who's going to tell me what I want to hear. They're going to tickle my ears. They're going, to, they're, going to, they're going to tell me, they're going to whisper the things I really want to believe. Do you realize that what God desires in our life is not all that? I mean, hopefully you know that. <laughs> but over and over, as I, was, as I was just studying through this, I was so just dumbfounded by how much God desires truth. In fact, I, I love Psalm 51.6. David says, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, that in the very depths of who I am, what do you desire? You desire truth. Uh, it's interesting that in Proverbs 12 or 17, there's this comparison of truth and righteousness. And Proverbs 12, 17 says, he who speaks truth shows forth righteousness, but a false witness bears deceit. That somehow when truth resides in the inner part of who you are, what begins to come out of your life is righteousness. That's fascinating to me. In uh, John 13, 35, you know the passage, Jesus is in the upper room, he's looking at his disciples, and he says this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So we understand that, hey, how, how are we as Christians supposed to be known? We are to be known by our love. But then it's interesting in Paul's list in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, love is patient, love is kind, love is da 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 da, right? In that whole list, he says in verse 6 that love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but love rejoices with the truth. Isn't it interesting if we are to be known by our love, that love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it is going to be known for truth. Uh, John 8, 32, Jesus is saying uh, a, a rather fascinating statement to me. He says in John 8, 32, you will know, by the way, it's the word gnosko, you're going to experience, you're going to be acquainted intimately with truth, and that truth will set you free, which tells me something. It means truth is knowable. It means I can actually know it. If I'm going to experience it, that means it's possible that I know it. And not only that, when I embrace truth, do you realize it will set my life free? That truth unshackles us from something. Uh, as you come back into Philippians chapter 4, that word for true or that, that, the truth idea, uh, it's the Greek word alethes, 
And that word, it shows up 25 times in the New Testament. And of course, there's other forms of the word that shows up a lot more times, but this particular grammatical structure, uh, it means true. It means, uh, I'll give you a list, righteous, honest, real, genuine, not imaginary. It's not false, meaning it's not a lie. It has this idea of it's not concealed or hidden. It's, it's, it's in the open. It's, it's real. It's, it's uh, in accordance with fact. All that's contained in this idea of this word. But what's interesting is you get into the heart of what Paul is saying here. He's not saying, think on that which is factual. I mean, hey, there's nothing wrong with pondering things that are factual, but that's not the emphasis of, of the passage. Because you realize the whole emphasis of the passage is a guard upon your heart and your mind, and you can ponder things that are factual and still be led into junk. And you can ponder things that are factual and still have a twistedness. Does that make any sense to you? Uh, for example, our world is going crazy. That's a fact. That is true, folks. So let's just dwell upon that. And let's just talk about all the ways it's crazy and all the deception and all the lies. Well, you realize that suddenly becomes a problem. Because for me to ponder the fact that the world is going crazy, I'm now having to ponder deception and lies and chaos, which is not the heart of this passage. Are you getting this? So he's not just talking about, think on that fact, on, on the things that are factual. You realize he's going beyond factual things that are true. He's talking about truth itself. And when you get into the very heart of truth, you realize we're talking not about information. We're, we're talking about a person. His name is Jesus. For he is the truth. Uh, let me just give you a whole bunch of passages. And I, I know you know all these. But just for the sake of reminder, since some of you don't seem to be awake this morning. And so hopefully this will help jog some of the old memories. You ready? Okay. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes into the Father except through me. For there's only one means of salvation. There's only one entrance in. Well, what is it? Jesus. And isn't it significant that he doesn't say that I am a way? He says, I am the way. I am not a truth. I am the truth. I am not a life. I am life itself. And so you realize that, that he's not giving options here. He, he's not giving uh, possibilities. He's saying there's only one distinct thing. What is it? I'm it. I am truth, says Jesus, which means anything outside of Jesus is actually a lie, even if it is factual. Why? Because he himself is the truth. Uh, John chapter 1, at the very beginning of John, John says this, And the word became flesh, verse 14, and it dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as of the only Son of the Father, full, think about this, he was full of grace and truth. And John testified about him and called out saying, This is he of whom I have said, he who is coming after me has proved to be my superior because he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized, were seen, demonstrated through Jesus Christ. How is truth seen? Jesus. Uh, John 18, uh, Pilate looks at Jesus 
and asked the question, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this purpose I have been born, and for this I have come into the world. Why did Jesus come into the world? Do you know what Jesus says why he came into the world? To testify to the truth. That's awesome. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. That's amazing. Uh, Matthew 22, verse 16. Uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. And so they gather some of their guys. And along with the Herodians, they come to Jesus. And listen to how they describe Jesus. They say, teacher, we know that you are truthful. You're truthful. And you teach the way of God in truth. And you do not care what anyone thinks, for you are not partial to anyone. So even those who are trying to trap Jesus said, look, we understand you're of the truth and you speak truth. Uh, you start walking through the Old Testament and over and over you hear this tone of God is truth. He does not lie. He's only, he only has truth. He is truth. Are you getting this? So when we're talking about think upon the things which are true, we're not saying, oh, ponder the factual information that is absolutely correct. Two plus two is four. Let's just dwell on that all day. Oh, that is true. Okay, you can think on that if you want to. But that's not the emphasis of the passage. See, the emphasis of the passage is not embracing facts. It's embracing a person who is the truth itself. So in light of that, let me give you four ideas. Ready for these? Four ideas. Number one, truth is twofold. Truth is a person. Amen. Nod your heads. But do you realize that Jesus, who is the truth, declared that his word is truth? And over and over in Scripture, and we don't have time to get in all the passages, but over and over in Scripture, Jesus says this thing is true. This thing is the truth. In fact, John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So isn't it interesting? Again, there's this twofold reality that when we're talking about truth and you're to set your mind on things that are true, we're talking about the word of God in person, Jesus, and we're talking about the word of God in text, scripture, and that your mind is supposed to be filled up with, soaked and saturated with, permeated with, the person, and the book. And again, there's a linkage between these two. If you want to get to know the person better, you've got to be in the book. Why? Because this is the revelation of the person. And he has spoken, and he cannot lie. So this book is true. So wouldn't it be fascinating that what is to guard your mind and you're to ponder the things that are true, we're not, we're not talking abstract concepts that are true. We're saying what would happen if your mind got so wrapped up in Jesus and was so saturated in this book that every time a thought came in, it had to be measured by those two things. Wouldn't that be amazing if your mind was guarded and filled up with and just soaked with Jesus and his word. I want that. Which flows into the second idea, which is this idea that truth expels lies. Now, we are bombarded today with so much lies and deception and deceit 
Uh, even if it's not a lie per se, in other words, it even could be factually true, do you realize the whole culture is pushing a lie? Uh, the, the culture stands up and says, this is success. Well, how does the culture define success? You realize culture defines success very differently than this book defines success. So though it may be true culturally that this is success, you realize it's still a lie when you compare it to this book. See the struggle? Culture says this is how you're to talk. This is how you're to dress. This is how you're to behave. This is how you're to spend your free time. And hey, if you want to buy into that, hey, that's fine. And it could be true for the culture. Hey, that does make you successful if you do the culture stuff. But what if your mind wasn't wrapped up in just, what if your mind was wrapped up in this? And this determined what success was. This determined how you're to talk. This determined what you're to think about. This determined. You realize that Satan is called the father of lies in John chapter 8? That his primary means of, of trying to woo you is lies and deception? How on earth are you going to stand against the lies and the deception of the evil one? How on earth are you going to be able to battle lies in your life? And you realize his lies are not like so blatant that you're like, oh, that's obviously a lie. His lies often have a measure of truth to them, which is why we're like, oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that would make me feel really good right now. Yeah, I, do, I really do want that right now. Oh, that would be great in my life. So it has a measure of truth to it. But a partial truth means it's also a partial lie. So how are we going to battle those things? Do you realize you do not battle lies by fighting it on its own level? You don't get down in the mud with, lie, with lies. You don't fight lies by trying to uh, you know, put your hands over your ears and like, I'm not listening, I'm not listening. You don't battle lies by trying to argue with lies. Uh, you don't battle lies by trying to distract yourself from the lie. How do you battle lies? With truth. And it's only when you declare forth truth does the lies begin to have no grip in your life. So truth strips lies of all of its power. So the only way to battle lies and deception is you have to confront it with truth. Which means you must know the truth and be pondering the things that are true. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, it's intriguing to me that as Paul is giving the list of armor that you're to have as a Christian, right, put on the armor of God, the very first piece of armor is the belt of truth. And isn't it intriguing that the belt of truth is the, is the piece that holds all the other pieces of armor together? It's that which surrounds and kind of keeps it all close. It's, it's the one piece of armor that actually fully surrounds your body. It's, it's that one piece of armor uh, that, that is essential if you're going to be functioning. In other words, if you don't have a belt, and by the way, we're not just talking like a belt that'll make your pants fall down, right? We're, we're talking about a belt that holds the armor, that holds the breastplate, that holds the sword, that hold, it holds things together. Wouldn't it be amazing if Jesus, the truth, the word of God in your life, not only 
held your life together but fully surrounded you? That, that you were really encompassed by truth? And so here you are, you're in the midst of this battle with lies and, and how am I going to confront the lie? Well, I need, I need truth. But Paul says that I'm to be surrounded by truth. Is that true in your life? See, the way that we battle lie is, is not to get so acquainted with the lie. In other words, um, how are you going to deal with all the, the lies of the enemy? Well, how about this? Let's take a class called Lies 101 and go through all the lies. Now, we are going to sort of do that this morning in the class session. <laughs> but partly for a whole different purpose. And we're, we're going to be acquainted with some of the lies. Uh, have you ever heard that illustration of the $100 bill? Uh, you have this $100 bill, and if I had one, I would have brought it, but I, I'm not that, you know. Anyway, so I, I had this $100 bill, and I take it down to the bank. How does the bank teller know if it's a real $100 bill or not? Because you realize that there's all these people trying to counterfeit money. Well, hey, if, you, if you've ever been a bank teller, what they do is every Friday afternoon, they're required by law to have a class called Counterfeit 101. And they're talking about all the new techniques of counterfeiting and, and how they're counterfeiting and you know, what people do to counterfeit and the little marks on the show's counterfeiting. And Okay, that's not true. That wouldn't work because there's always new ways of counterfeiting. There, there's always new. So how would you ever stay up with counterfeiting? Did you know that a bank teller is actually not allowed to play with counterfeit money. They're not, even to, they're not to hold it and touch it. They're not to look at it. Why? Because they are supposed to spend so much time with the real thing that anytime something shows up where they're like, I don't know why, but this doesn't, this doesn't seem right, that they know it's a counterfeit. Wouldn't it be interesting in your life if you didn't spend all the time worrying about the lies but what you worried about is being so acquainted with that which is true that any time anything came up in your life that wasn't the truth, even if you couldn't put your finger on why it's a lie, you would say, I know it's not true. How do you know? I don't know, but I know it's not. Because I've been so acquainted with the truth, my mind is so engrossed in scripture that it's just like, I, I, it just has the smell of something else. Wouldn't that be amazing in your life? To know truth that well? just to be in scripture so much, to, to have the life of Jesus permeating your life to such a degree that anything that is not of him, you just go, I don't know what this is, but it's a lie. And I'm not listening to it. That's what we're talking about. See, how, how are you going to battle lies? Surround yourself with truth. How, how are you going to battle deception in this age? Cloak yourself with truth. Be acquainted with truth. And don't worry about the different kinds of lies out there. Get so wrapped up in the truth that anytime Anything doesn't smell or sound or taste like the real thing. You just go, I'm throwing it out. That's the only way you're going to survive. So let me give you a third idea. There's that whole idea of truth is twofold, right? We're talking about a person and the word of God. That the truth itself is that which expels the lies and battles the deception. Third, and I've really struggled with this one, it's this idea that truth, we're talking about the truth, changes my truth. 
And if you don't like that language, let me say it this way. The truth, we're talking about Jesus in the scripture, transforms my reality and my experience. I really wrestled with this because I began to realize there is a measure of truth, no pun intended, to the fact that people have different kinds of truths. For example, I like chocolate cake. That's a truth. But in your life, you might be like, no thanks. I'll take pie or cookies or ice cream or whatever it is that you do. And that could be true for you. Does that make sense? So our culture has taken that concept and elevated it to absolute truths. So there are individual truths. My dad dropped me on the head when I was a kid. Okay? So we have these individual truths. I went to college. Right? I'm a man. Right? We have these individual truths that may be different for you. Because if you're not a man, you better not be claiming that truth. So there is a, there is a reality that there are individual truths, but that's, that's personal reality. That's personal experience kind of stuff. Does that make any sense? That's different than truth. Like do not murder, right? Is an absolute truth kind of stuff. And you can't say, well, murder is okay with me. That's my truth. No, you cannot take this stuff and elevate it to this level. You guys awake? Now the problem with this word truth and that word Alethes, that Greek word, that 25 times it shows up, it's used in both ways. It's used as the truth, big, big truth ideas, but it's also used in that personal experience stuff. For example, the woman at the well says, hey, I'm, it's true, Jesus, I, I have been married five times and this guy that I'm with now is not even my husband. That is true. It's that word. And, and, and what is she talking about? Experience stuff. That's my reality stuff. So here's, here's been my dilemma. I'm to focus on that which is true. Oh, so I'm going to focus on down here stuff. No. Because I can get lost in this stuff. My dad dropped me on the head. I'm a victim. True. What if, though, your reality, your experience would be transformed by Jesus and the Word? Because this is truth. Wouldn't it be amazing if God could take his reality and, and the truth of his Word and bring it down into my personal experience and my personal reality? And it's the truth that informs and transforms my experience and reality. For example, my dad, my dad dropped me on my head. I'm a victim. That's down here. But what if I would come to the word of God and say, what does the word of God say? And what if I would see my life in terms of this? That I'm actually not a victim. That I can't play the victim card. Because, hey, I, I am a sinner and I, I need salvation. And it wasn't my dad's fault. I have, I have rebelled against the living God. See, what if it wasn't just 
Uh, down here, we have the prodigal son. He's rebelled. He ran away. He did his own thing. He lived in sin. And isn't it interesting? He's walking back home to the father and he's living in this reality saying, hey, I'm, maybe I'll be a servant. I, I'm not even worthy. I'm not even sure I can do that part. But, but hey, I'm at least going to beg my dad to let me be a servant. And, and he gets home. Isn't it interesting that the dad did not play down to here. The dad said, oh, you're my son. And I'm going to restore and I'm going to redeem and I'm going to... And this became the reality of the prodigal son. And this transformed his personal experience. Is that making any sense to you? The world is crazy! True. But what if I would see that in light of Jesus and the truth? That though the world has gone crazy and is full of lies and deception, he wants to bring revival. That he desires that none would be lost. That he desires all to be saved. That he wants to actually take our lives and spill it upon the world to reach the craziness. So let's not dwell upon the craziness. Dwell upon the fact that he wants to change the craziness. Are you getting this? I have a fear of man. Yeah, I'm really concerned what people think about me. And I'm trying to seek the approval and the acceptance and the affirmation of the people around me. True. That's my personal experience. But what does the Word of God say? Well, I should only fear God. That Matthew, uh, was it Matthew 22 said Jesus did not care what people thought about him. That, that he, wasn't, he wasn't treating certain people higher than other people. That he was meek and lowly and he was always choosing humility. And that he only had an ear for the Father. And then he looks at the disciples and says, I want to do the same thing in you. And wouldn't it be interesting to hear, hear, here I am, always having a fear of man and always seeking the approval and the acceptance. Wouldn't it be interesting if that could be transformed by truth? And my personal experience and reality and truth got flipped by the truth. I'm addicted to whatever it is that you're addicted to. Right? I'm addicted to drugs. I'm addicted to sex. I'm addicted to alcohol. I'm addicted. I'm addicted. Athletics, video games, shopping, whatever it is for you. Don't look at me this way. I know you have something. What is it you're addicted to? Could it be that instead of, well, I'm going to focus on that which is true. I'm addicted. I'm addicted. Wouldn't it be interesting if truth Jesus and the Word of God could so infiltrate your life that changes this? What, is, what does the truth say? Hey, you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. That sin shall not have dominion over you. That He is our Savior. That, that I don't have to live in the addictions and the habits and the, the, the thumb of sin in my life any longer. So wouldn't it be amazing if my individual reality, experience, or truth down here could be radically transformed by the truth up here. Are you getting this? So if you bring that into our passage and Paul says, think on that which is true, he's not saying, hey, stay down here. Just ponder two plus two is four stuff. There's nothing wrong with two plus two is four. And, and is it true that I'm addicted? Yes, it's true. But why would you want to live in this reality when he can change that reality? 
So what is Paul saying? He says, hey, would you get so wrapped up in the person and would you get so wrapped up in the word that that would expel and remove everything in your life that doesn't measure up to this? What if as you're walking through life, some experience, someone says something to you, and rather than internally responding, what if you said, Lord, what is true Uh, for, for an illustration, uh, so yesterday, uh, we had a staff meeting, and during the staff meeting, Nathan was a little snarky. doesn't matter about what, but there was just this internal, and I, I was trying to be a Christian outwardly, but inwardly, I was just I just, I don't know. I was just frustrated. I was just like, I just, Lord, I'm just, and I made some comments that were a bit snarky. If you don't know what that word means, it just means like cheeky. If if you don't understand what that word means, it's like, it was true, but it was the way I said it. You know what I'm saying? So I spoke the truth. I did. Sort of but not in the way it was supposed to be spoken. And it was a little passive aggressive and it was a little just kind of throwing it out there and I just kind of, and I could easily justify it. But I left, I left the staff meeting and I went to the gym to get my workout in, which was really good because after the meeting I needed to work out. And I, I was so convicted because I've been studying this idea of truth and I just, and the Holy Spirit began to put his finger on my, on my life and just said, Nathan, what is that? And I'm like, but Lord, you don't understand. He goes, what is it? Yeah, but what about those people? And by the way, they're all people I dearly love. They're my favorite people in the world. So Nathan, are you going to make it right? Jesus, be quiet. I got another set to do. <laughs> <laughs> And I was just so, why? Because I allowed the truth to measure my life. And it said, Nathan, no matter what your reality is here, that's wrong. And I need to change it. So I was confronted with truth. And said, Nathan, you weren't walking in humility. And it doesn't actually matter. You're not responsible for other people's comments or thoughts or attitudes or hurts or past you're responsible for you so will you make it right yeah but what about will you deal with you okay so i got on the group text and i said hey look uh, since it was public i need to make it public i apologize and i I was not i was snarky i was not walking in humility please forgive me do you know how miserable that is but do you know how important that is See, what if, what if you would be so wrapped up in truth that any time personal experience, any time you heard something, any time someone said, any time, what if you would see that in light of truth? And you would allow this to be the measurement of your life. And you would allow this to confront you. And you would allow this to conform you to the image of Christ. That's what Paul's talking about. 
Well, how on earth are we going to know the truth? Really quick, let me give you the fourth idea. Do you realize that the promise is that you will be guided into all truth? Jesus in the upper room scene in John 16, Jesus says in verse 7, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I am leaving. For if I do not leave, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The word for helper is the Greek word parakletos, and it means uh, helper, mediator, counselor, intercessor. It also means advisor. Do you know what the Holy Spirit is in your life? He's your mediator. He's your helper. He's your counselor. He's your advisor. And then a few verses later in verse 13, listen to what Jesus says. He says, but he, the spirit of truth. Do you know who the Holy Spirit is? He's the spirit of truth. So ponder, ponder this progression. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the truth. Now he says, I'm going to send you the spirit of truth. And we know that the spirit is the spirit of Jesus. So are you getting this? The one who is truth is sending us his spirit, which is truth. Get this. And when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. John 16, 13. The word there for guide uh, there's two different words for guide in, in the New Testament. One has this idea of, I'm going I'm to lead you there. If you want to get to my house, don't write this down. If you want to get to my house, okay, go out to the main road, turn on 7th, follow that all the way down, turn on Hemlock, third circle on the right, I'm 1205. Okay, that's, I just guided you to my house. Hopefully none of you wrote that down. Okay, that, that's my house. That's different than this word. This word has this idea of, I grab you by the hand, I say, let's go. And I'm walking with you. And as I'm leading with you, I say, hey, hey, watch out for the pothole. Come over here. Come over here. And hey, let's go over here. And that's this word. Do you realize that the spirit of God, the spirit of truth is going to lead you into all truth, which is not information. It's a person. So the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of truth is going to guide you into Jesus and this book because this book is truth. And how's he going to do it? He's not going to just give me some directions. Hey, go over there, turn left, turn right, turn left, turn left. He's going to really grab me by the hand and he's going to walk me into all truth. Can I ask you this morning, would you get so wrapped up in Jesus, so saturated in his word, that you would literally be filled up with truth to the point where it pushes everything else out? And it's not, it doesn't mean you can't think on those things that are factual. But wouldn't it be amazing if everything that came into your mind had to come through the lens, the protection of truth itself? And everything you heard, you just said, how does that measure up to this, uh, to this book? How, how, does, how does this experience, how does this encounter, how, how do these words that I'm hearing come and measure against this book? And if you remember about that list of whatevers, it's not just being filled up with information. It's about being filled up and then putting it into practice. What if I wouldn't just esteem truth? What if, what if I began to live in the truth? What if I got so wrapped up in the person and so just guarded and soaked in this book where this book is just constantly on my heart and my mind that it became, became the living reality of my life? And every time the enemy began to spout lies or deception, Anytime my own life began to exhibit something that doesn't measure up, I'd say, 
It's not true. What if I allowed the one who is true, who now lives inside of my life, the Holy Spirit, what if I would allow him to be able to put his finger on anything in my life and just say, you know what? Yeah, that may have been factual. Yeah, that may have been your experience. Yeah, maybe that's your current reality. But can I change that? Because there's truth. Hey, you don't have to be addicted anymore. You are more than a conqueror. Hey, you don't have to live as a victim. You don't have to focus on the craziness of the world. Hey, you don't have to stay as a prodigal. Because the reality is, oh, there's something better. And can I transform that by the truth? Will you let Jesus do that in you? Let's pray, Lord. We need the truth. Lord, I don't want just facts. I don't want just information. Jesus, I need you. And so, Lord, I just, Lord, I humbly ask that you would come and through your spirit of truth, would you guide me into all truth? Lord, would you so fill me up with your word, with your life, that it just expels the enemy's lies and deception? Lord, could you so fill me up with truth that it takes my own personal experience and reality and just flips it on its head? Lord, would you so fill me up with truth that whenever I'm encountering the lies of the culture, I would come back to the word of God and let the word of God be the measurement of truth in my life. Lord, thank you that you are faithful to put your finger on the things in our life that desperately need to change. Those thoughts, those attitudes, those snarky comments. Lord, would we be so acquainted with truth that we are unable to remain the same? And Lord, what freedom there is to, to live and ponder that which is true. That we don't have to live in deception, we don't have to live in lies, we don't have to ponder deceit that we have full freedom to ponder that which is true, which ultimately is you. So Lord, would you capture us and captivate our minds and pull us into a greater reality and intimacy with you. Oh, we desperately need you, Jesus. We love you. In your precious name we pray, amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.